Welcome to Springboard, your virtual university. My name is Albert Okran. Welcoming you on behalf of Team Springboard, ably led by comfort. Springboard is your most inspirational show and the point of convergence for the greatest minds. Your virtual university is brought to you by the Springboard Roadshow Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse, the enterprise group UMB Bank, with support from the Multimedia Group and the Graphic Communications Group. So, today I have a very special edition of Springboard, your virtual university for you. We call it Back from the Dead. Yes, you heard me right. Back from the Dead. Fasten your seatbelt, call a friend to call a friend because it's going to be absolutely unbelievable. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 2 says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And I never understood the scripture until I recently met Kwabna Ampong Kutimbua at a function. And right after we spoke, I said, this is the man the whole of Ghana was talking about earlier in the year. In fact, when you find yourself in a coma for 40 days with two different types of COVID, and the doctor tells your family, Case closed. Only God can bring you back from the dead. The man himself is here to tell us a story, and this is going to be a roller coaster. Come now, welcome to Springboard. Thank you so much. You look absolutely great for somebody who has had COVID. <laughs> the Bible says, Had it not been the Lord on our side, where would we have been? So it's all by His grace and mercy. I am what I am. If you find me looking at you, in, 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 in a certain way, it's because I know that I've heard a story and I still can't believe it. And before we go into your story of that the near-death experience, give us context about your life. PhD student in cybercrime in London. Tell us what, what you've been doing professionally or educationally. Okay, let me start by saying uh, I was born in Dunkwa to Reverend Mensa Kutimboa, Mama Mary Dufio Kutimboa of blessed memory. So my father started his ministry as a Church of Pentecost pastor. His first station was Dunkwa. And you know Pentecost, they will definitely transfer you. So from Dunkwa he moved to Ayanfre. But then Ayanfre was a very remote area. It was a village. There was no light, no portable water. So I had to come back to Dunkwa to live with an uncle where I attended Dunkwa Gophers uh, Primary School. So from there, my uncle resigned from the State Gold Mining Corporation, Dunkwa Gophers Limited, and went to Ashanti Gold, now Anglo Gold, Ashanti. So we moved from Dunkwa to Obwase, where I finished my GSS. And then daddy was transferred to, was then at Agzim. So after JSS, I joined him at Agzim where I had my secondary school at Insign Secondary. From Insign Secondary, I went to Takrado Polytechnic to do HND in electrical and electronics engineering, but I majored in telecommunication. So after Takrado Polytechnic, I went to University of Hertfordshire to do information, uh, information systems. But I majored that's, that's in the UK. In the UK. But I majored in business intelligence. Then from there, I did my master's in engineering and management from Coventry University. Then from there, I did master's in research, MRS in security and crime science, after which I'm now doing a PhD. So it was, tell me before, we get into the PhD. What are the career aspirations that are guiding this certain path you are traveling in electronics and electrical engineering into technology and then cyber crime? What are your interests? Most of my steps towards uh, these studies, I would say it 
have been fueled by various aspects of my life where I reach. I started after Takrad Polytechnic, I was a contractor. So then I saw the need to add value to what we normally do as Ghanaian entrepreneurs. Then I came across information system business intelligence. I went through the models and I was quite happy. So I decided to do a BSc in that. Then from there, I was no more entrepreneur, getting contracts here and there. The, though there has been a, 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 one or two failures, but we're still soldiering on. No business, doing business in Ghana is not easy. Everywhere. And mixing <laughs> it with ministry as well okay. is the, also the not preacher's easy. preacher's son. Yes. So, you were, so, so let, me put context, let me put this in context. So you were running a small business or a growing business. Yes. You also had ministry aspirations or interests. Yeah. And then you were interested in telecoms, cybercrime, and technology. Yes. Okay. So let's roll up. One of the things I do tell my colleagues who are even in ministry, uh, who are into full time, I do encourage them that the fact that you become a preacher doesn't mean that Baum is going to do theology. I don't believe in that. I believe if you are a chartered accountant and you receive the call of God, excel in that field. So when matters regarding those things come up in the public domain, national issues, you'll be ready to speak from that perspective, from a professional point of view. Not only the Bible says, the Bible says. So you're like a bivocational pastor. <laughs> I call myself a social gospeler. So. Social gospel. Social gospeler. Social gospeler. Oh, I love that. <laughs> okay, I've learned it even today. <laughs> so you're reading your, your, your PhD in the University of London. University College London, UCL. University College of London. So let's go to Christmas 2020 through the <laughs> New Year 2021. Normally a very exciting period for friends, family, and everybody. What was the first sign you saw that there was trouble? The first sign I saw that there was trouble was when somebody coughed. <laughs> When the person coughed in the hall, I told my friend, Apostle Justice, so I said, COVID Justice, COVID has entered this house. Why? Because, you know, when COVID started, I was one of the few preachers who were out there debunking conspiracy theories, encouraging people to take care of themselves. So I did videos during the lockdown. I was locked down here in Ghana, I couldn't travel. I was doing videos to encourage people to take care of themselves. And I was following the trends of the COVID across the world. So when borders opened, then I had to leave to go and continue my education. So I was very cautious of how this COVID is. And most one of the symptoms then, I think it's still now, uh, having this dry cough, here and there. So, so once you had a coffee, did it was trouble? I, I said, no. COVID has entered here. So what happened? Yeah, three days after that, I also started a cough. Then I called my sister, Dr. Sheila Samwatri. When I came to Ghana for five days in December, she gave me some medications. So I said, okay, oh, then start taking them. So I started taking the medications she gave me. But the more I take the medication, the more I become more uh, sick. This was between Christmas and New Year. Yeah, after, yeah, yeah. just after Christmas. So New Year, I wasn't very well. So I took it. Then we had a family friend in Glasgow, Scotland, whom I spoke to, and she told me that, oh, she's off. Other than that, she would have sent some medication down to me in Dunfermline, in Scotland. So... But then she was off duty, so she couldn't send it in time. And my health, I felt, was deteriorating. So I quite remember when uh, on the night of 3rd January, I coughed, a normal cough, bringing out the 
spartum as they call it. I saw particles of blood and then I became alarmed. So I called Antiros as Antiros. I'm going to call ambulance. This is not getting any funny. And my temperature was too high. So I called the ambulance and as usual, oh, self-isolate, do this, do that. I said, hey. Sure. <laughs> 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 I'm going past self-isolate. This is what is happening. When I cough, I see particles of blood. It's okay. We are sending ambulance right away. I think between, within 12 minutes, there was an ambulance to pick me up. So they came to my room, carried me into the ambulance. It has snowed, and the weather was very Scottish, very cold. So we struggled a bit moving out of the house. And they took me to Kalkadi, a city in Scotland. And the hospital there is called Victoria Hospital. So that was where they took me. So here you, were, you found yourself from the comfort of your home, making calls to friends and seeing Nkuyi, suddenly you found yourself rushed to the hospital. What happened when you got to the hospital? When I got to the hospital, they took me to an isolated ward and they started taking blood samples, after which they took me, uh, they came and did x-ray and they said they are taking me to do MRI. So they took me to do the MRI at that midnight and they brought me back and they put a small oxygen on me and gave me some medications and said that they should wait, uh, they are monitoring me. But the weather was too cold and the room was terribly cold. There's a typical Ghanaian guy in Scottish weather. <laughs> and when I cover myself, they would take the blanket off and they said, no, your temperature is very high, so you don't have to cover yourself. And I, they told me not to sleep with my face down so I slept like this, and I started snoring like a locomotive train. So I think it was unbearable. The nurse came and said, oh, no, you are snoring too, too much, much and you are coughing. So try and... Ten seconds. And, yeah, and see. And then I had a very comfortable sleep. So in the morning, one nurse will come and look at you, check how you are doing, and it will go. But, you know, their face were not very encouraging and they weren't telling me anything but then i heard a voice that you will come up you you come back but i don't play or i treated it casual i didn't know what was ahead of me so later during the ward rounds or whatever they call it doctors and the doctors came or nurses here and there and the doctor looked at me and said gentlemen you have tested positive for COVID. You have pneumonia. Your liver functioning is deranged. And your kidney is malfunctioning. <laughs> Four different yeah. serious conditions. Yes. Then he told me that they are doing blood culture. And the aggression of the COVID-19 infection that I had is so great so they have called in uh, other guys from Oxford University to come in and take a blood sample. And I said, okay, no worries. And they left. And later they came back and told me that they are preparing a place for me in ITU. And they will move me to ITU. I said, okay. Then, that day, they changed the small uh, tube and they gave me uh, something that covers, like a cup, that covers both your nose and mouth with the oxygen and they asked me to breathe normally. But then I realized that I started having difficulty in breathing and they brought nebulizer. They brought nebulizer and I was still there. Then they said that, no, they have to move me to the ITU said okay so I saw my they took me to the ITU on the 6th but before they took me on the 6th they now changed the cup and put a CPAP machine on me wow so I was dressed like a ninja 
This was no longer a small matter. It was now a life and death issue at that time. Yeah, by that time, I could still talk. I was okay. Yeah, I could Were still talk. Were you afraid, talk. confused, uncertain, worried? What was the mood? No, at that time, I wasn't afraid of anything. I, I knew I would be fine. There was never a dint of fear in me. Okay. Some way, somehow, I was very confident that this thing shall pass away. So, so, so what changed? This was 6th of January. What changed? So, I went, uh, 6th of January, I was in the ITU. They, they told me they would put me on ventilator. They would do this. They would do this. As soon as they took me, they, they cut this part of, they gave me local anesthesia and cut this part of my, you can Your see wrist. the scar here. They started putting some, mm-hmm. Okay, on your wrist, okay. Yes, then they started putting some long tooth there. Then I asked the doctor why. I said, so that when you go off, you'll still have access to your system. When you, when you go off? Yeah, that's what she said. Okay. <laughs> you still have access to your system. I will be fine. So then a lady from Oxford came, introduced herself, told me they are uh, checking, uh, is it? something sequence, is it the genome sequence or something mm-hmm. on the COVID? And the type of COVID I have, I think they are not quite sure which one it is. And from my travel history, I was in Ghana recently. And I said, well, I was in Ghana last month. They say yes, but still they have to check and see. I said, okay. So they gave me a form to sign and they also took sample and left. Then I would say I slept technically on the 7th and I woke up on, I slept on the 7th of January and I woke up on 17th of February. 40 to 41 days. Yes, please. You just slept and woke up. <laughs> For crisis. What, what do you mean you slept and woke up? From there, I didn't see anything again. So, what, so that was the coma? Yeah, that was what I was told. You lost consciousness for a little over 40 days. Yeah. And, and what did they say happened? They said, uh, one, they, they had to induce me or sedate me so that they can really treat me well. And they had to put me on ventilator. Then while I was on ventilator, I got worse. So it was as if I went to coma into coma. Wow. Because though I was on ventilator, they said the tracheostomy they did collapsed. For the benefit of those who don't know tracheostomy or whatever you call it. They just cut your throat. Oh, don't say cut your throat. Don't say it's <laughs> not But that's, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They make a little cut. Don't say they cut your throat because that was like they had you. But so they make a, an incision in your throat. Yes, and they'll put... More like your, your trachea, more yeah, or less. Yes. And put a tube there. Yes. And they, they did it and it failed. Yes, they say it collapsed. And I had infections here and there that could not be. What did you to pass through there? Was it food, air? What? To, to take over my lungs. Okay. To take over breathing. Yeah. So, though I was on it, but my oxygen levels started dropping. So I got so sick with multiple infections. Then I had, apart from being diagnosed of pneumonia associated with COVID, I now had pneumonia associated with ventilator. Oh. I don't know what that one is. And you found out all this when you woke up? Yes. It's in my hospital discharge report. Tell me about the two variants of COVID. I've never heard it before that one person can carry in themselves two variants. What does it mean? Maybe uh, they think that, okay, so the report came out that I have Two variants of COVID, the Kent variant and the South African variant. At that time, I thought was South Africa was very serious. <laughs> yeah, for South Africa, I'm an African, uh, but Kent, I hadn't been to Kent. I only came to Ghana. 
but then uh, the Ken variant at that time was very prevalent in the UK. So I think maybe I got one here and got another somewhere. My mind goes back to just telling your pastor friend that COVID has entered this house. Mm -hmm. And so the person who coughed, was the person okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's fine. She also got, I was told she got terribly sick, but she recovered. And she was far better than you who got it from her ostensibly. Yeah, maybe I already had a variant in me and I got that variant. So, combined forces. Wow, and 40 days. Yeah. What else happened in the 40 days? Okay, they say I got worse. My oxygen level dropped to 10%. Kidney failed. Liver gone. Pneumonia upon pneumonia. So they told the family to prepare for the worst. What date was that? I'm sure most of your family will I know, never I, forget that date. Yes, I think they, they will be better. To, they, they, they stand in a better position of telling <laughs> those things. But somewhere in the middle of the 40 days, yes. the doctors in the hospital, in the, at the Victoria Hospital, called your family and said, okay, so where we've reached, yeah. this is it. Yeah. What is the family supposed to do? <laughs> they said they should prepare for the worst. That means they were going to take the tubes off your what? Yeah, they said I can't, make, I won't make it, but they are making them aware. But then, as soon as I went into coma from seven, my brother-in-law established a twenty-four-hour prayer group. So every hour, somebody is praying on that line. 24 hours. Churches were praying. My father informed other churches, the Church of Pentecost in Tema, Kumase, I'm told Austria, and my church, PRWC Sakumono, and my bishop, Bishop Dr. William Wood. All his churches also started praying that our son is in trouble. So one man brought the whole world together praying for a special. A, a unique case of COVID that had two variants, the Kent variant and the South African variant. Yes. And that same person had both liver and kidney malfunctioning yes. or supposedly shut down. The yes. lungs didn't work. And even the attempt to pass air through your yes. trachea was also yes. multiple failing. Yeah. Looking back at all that, what goes through your mind? And they told that to add salt to injury, the consultant said that that one, he told me when I was discharged to the ward, the Amber ward, he told me that I wasn't fortunate because my immune system started fighting my lungs, mm. which is infected with COVID, which has COVID pneumonia and ventilator pneumonia. I don't know how it is. So my immune system started fighting my lungs as an external organ. This is Springboard, your virtual university. I'm sure you, 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 you're wondering whether you're in a med, medicine class or COVID-19 awareness class. My guest for today is Kovna Ampong Kutimbua, helping us to appreciate that story that made headlines on social media with several people praying for him who did not even know him. He's helping us to understand where it all began, the experiences he was aware of, those he was told about after 40 days in the wilderness or 40 days in a coma. The midpoint of which, or the, I don't want to call it the high point, but the most difficult point of which was the point when the doctor told his family, prepare yourselves for the very worst because your loved one will not make it. Have you ever been at that point where everyone has given up on you or a doctor told you about a loved one or yourself that this is the end and somehow you are still alive share your story with us on twitter with the hashtag springboard or springboard virtual university or post on our social media pages or on the stream of this one at springboard virtual university albert any okran or comfort okran a let the world know your story of also having bounced back from the dead as for Kabna, we are 100% sure that he died, not once, he died a number of times and rose up again. <laughs> and we want to find out what the experience was like for those who were watching, those who were arguing that he was already dead, and for he himself as he found his way back. 
When I come back from this break, we'll find out when did he come back? How did he feel? How did he find out? And who has he become as a result of his experience? Please don't go away. Don't be left out. Download the MTN Pulse app from the App Store or Play Store to mash up all day, every day. You can also enjoy more mashup. Just buy the new Mega Bundle and get 3 gigabytes data, extra 400 megabytes for your social apps, and free MTN to MTN calls every Monday. So just go ahead, feel the pulse on MTN Pulse. Just be. We're good together everywhere you go. From football fans. To football star. At Enterprise, we take care of life's uncertainties so you're free to make your dreams a reality. Dream big with us. Enterprise, your advantage. UMB was established in 1972 as the premier bank for the corporate and private sector in Ghana. From our very beginning, as the only Ghanaian bank serving all categories of businesses, we set a standard for excellence and innovation over the past 45 years. We've built a financially healthy and strong bank, demonstrated our commitment to our customers and to growing businesses, and exhibited originality and innovation at every turn. At UMB, our focus is built around people, service, products, and technology. These are the key to our present success and our future triumphs. At UMB, we are poised to make a difference not only with our customers, but also in the banking industry. We invite you to share in our future. Our future starts now with you. From Trotro Passenger to Tier Robber Car Owner. At Enterprise, we take care of life's uncertainties, so you are free to make your dreams a reality. Dream big with us. Enterprise, your advantage. Welcome back to Springboard of Virtual University, brought to you by the Springboard Roadshow Foundation. And I want to say a big thank you to our sponsors, MTN Pulse, the Enterprise Group, UMB Bank, and our media partners, the Multimedia Group and the graphic communications group if you just joined us or if along the line you got a call from somebody saying tune in or log on the person did the right thing because we are having an amazing conversation with the man who at one point earlier this year had two types of covid the kent variant and the south african variant had pneumonia that one to two types one attacking one end one attacking another end and the immune system also fighting the COVID and then fighting his lungs and at the same time his kidney his lungs and his liver all shutting down how much struggle can one person contain in the body but he ended on the note that at the point of his the lowest ebb in this story on the hospital bed in the victoria hospital unconscious in a coma people were praying and at the point the consultant said this is the end family prepare for the worst but people prayed governor tell us back from the dead what changed okay uh, uh, when it got to a time i think that was that was it when they said i was going to die because uh, apart from what you've mentioned, my blood pressure dropped so low. So it was like, okay. And you know, during the height of COVID, you know, getting into ICU was very scared. So uh, it was very scared getting bad. So at times you feel like, that kind of right. Yeah. Uh, so they were ready to take the life support and everything of me because I wasn't going to make it. Then, when the news got to my sister called, she fought with the doctor on, on, on the phone and said that it was their fault. There were so many things they were supposed to do earlier on, which they delayed. And she would report them. She cried here and there. And they continued praying. I think the turning point was the prayer. Mm. People prayed. 
some even went as far as Israel to mm. nail my name on the wailing wall <laughs> to pray. Now, how, does it, how does it make you feel? I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, how does it make you feel knowing that people committed so much to your well-being, some of whom did not even know you? How did it make you feel? It makes me feel humbled. It makes me feel humbled. Anytime I recall and you see me crying, it's not because of what I went through. I do tell people that it is not even the COVID or the sickness that really made me sober. But the torture of being in ITU, seeing people coming in the morning, they don't even make it in the afternoon. People were just dying all around me. All around me. And why they said I was wild was because I had a, a, a dream. They said I came back on the 15th, but it became very wild, deranged. Technically, you are mad. So they had to really knock me off again. Somebody was driving, running from death. <laughs> so, so, in the dream, I'd come back, but I was very weak. I couldn't see things well. I this was the 15th of 15th, February. Yes. Then something happened in the dream. Then I, I, I was struggling. So I saw nurses, doctors speaking to me. They were talking to me. Are you okay? What, what, what? And I started narrating what I had seen. What did you see? Oh, I saw it was like a dream and people were pursuing me to kill me. Pursuing me to kill me. And it was uh, everywhere I go, uh, they, somebody is trying to kill me. And I find myself in a hospital. In the hospital, somebody was trying to kill me. And oh, here's dear. the case. I came back. And nurses were there. When I was telling them, I was like, oh, you're correct. Let's give you injections. So the injection they're trying to give you was, was like a repetition yeah, of what you had dreamed. Yeah. So you started fighting them. So I, yeah, I checked, I checked the, the, the injection away. And they were very convinced that you were mad. Yes. Wow. So I saw them giving me multiple... That, that became... A big blow, emotionally, psychologically. I felt that this was a red thing I had seen. That they were trying to kill you. They were trying to. Because earlier on, in the same dream or something, I saw like demonic entities come into the ITU and they would point whom they want to kill. And what made me scared was one time, I saw myself in the dream, they had tied us up. These entities came, they killed the person here, killed the next one on my left, and jumped me and killed the one on the right. Then when they, were, they got to my tent, I heard a voice that don't touch Kovnampong. And they froze. They couldn't do anything. I didn't know where the voice came from, and they turned away. That day, this one died, this one died, and the one here died. You were in the middle. And I was in the middle. Then I got scared. I got so scared. Do you still feel, do you still feel emotionally scared or psychologically scared by these experiences? Yes, I, I reported the one they were giving me. Uh, they gave the multiple injections. They did the investigations. And they said that that was the right thing to do to save my life. They are sorry here and there. Yeah, but it was traumatic for you, but for them, a patient who had been in a coma for 40 days and comes back to life and starts behaving in a hyper way, yeah. they feel that was the only way they could control you. Yeah. But they, they didn't know your dream. Yes, and when I was telling them, they thought but a dream wouldn't make sense to them. Yeah, they, they said I was hallucinating. From their medical point of yes. view, that, that was the right response. Yes. So tell me, what happened next? So before I came back, you know, the doctors had given up that this family should prepare for the worst. Blood pressure down. They were about to take the machine, but they realized that there was activity in my brain. So they said, okay, let's give him some time. But I was told the dynamics of the prayer changed. That anyone that is not ordained by my side, that is ordained to be by my side to help my recovery, God should take them away. And strangely enough, God answered, Said the following week, 
from consultant to a cleaner in the ITU were changed. Let me, let me repeat what you're saying for perspective. You're saying that at the point where they give up, yeah. this is a bad case. Let's yeah. take off all the life-saving equipment. Your team was praying and saying, anyone that is not ordained to be with you as you battled with us yeah. should be removed. Yeah. And on the next shift, the entire team yeah. at the ICU was changed. Yeah, the entire team. And they brought on a new set? A new set. And from the narrative, how, how was that set? Yeah, when the new set, when they came, you know, they were taking over. And one male nurse saw my name, Kwabna. And this male nurse says, oh, if I'm Kwabna, I come from Ghana. So he checked my file, realized that I come from Ghana. I said, my wife is Ajwa. It means a female born on Monday. So he was married to Ghanaian? Yes. And Kwabna means a male born on Tuesday. So he told his consultant that assigned me to this case. Right. And spoke to the consultant to do everything possible to save me. I get the impression that these issues are sometimes small margins, very, very small margins between life and death. Yes. In fact, one nurse came, when I, when I, before I was the child to the Amber Ward, a nurse came to me, was administering, you know, the, the uh, tube here, normally it will choke. So they will bring something to extract the flames and stuff. Then he told me, I was here when you came in first. You go poorly. Do you know you died a wee bit? You died a wee bit? A wee bit. You know, she was telling me quietly. So I was like, okay, so I died. Okay. But the only experience I had, which I may equate it to what they call death, was that at the speed of my thought, I came to Ghana. At the speed of my thought, I said, no, I wasn't in Ghana. <laughs> you mean while you were in a coma, you felt that you came to Ghana yeah. and came back? Yeah, then I said, no, I wasn't, I wasn't in coma. I wasn't in Ghana. The last time I remember, I was in the hospital. At that speed of the thought, I saw my body in the hospital with all kinds of machines. I said, no, I can't die. <laughs> did then you, that was, did you feel that at any point that your, there was some willpower to fighting from within you just wanting to hold on to life? I think that was, that, that was what they are saying. They said I was... You refused to die? Yes. And the consultant, when I was discharged from the ITU to the ward, he, he was off. But he came back to check on me and he told me that for te- uh, uh, he has practiced medicine for 37 years. He said throughout his practice, especially during this pandemic. He has never seen anyone come to the ITU with such a great infection and complication like mine. And the person fought back the way I did. Congratulations. This was his words. The day you were discharged, how did you feel? Finally discharged from the ITU. Both tell me that from the ITU first and then from the hospital. Okay. The ITU, when Rana realized that they were talking to me, I was fine. They said I've improved on my uh, oxygen consumption. So they, were going to, they are going to discharge me. But they didn't discharge me the time they said they would because they said I wasn't able to pass the stool. So they called a consultant who now gave me enema for me to pass the stool. Then I heard them clap for somebody. So I thought maybe somebody was celebrating a birthday or something. So I said, what's that clap for? They said, oh, the person is being discharged. Then I told the nurse, I'll be the nurse to be discharged from here. Wow. It wasn't a place to go to and come back that easily. <laughs> yeah, people were dying more than... I saw people die. One time, they, people were just dying. I, I, I decided not to sleep. Wow. So I was discharged to the Amber Ward. Did you feel that it was a big victory when you were released from the ITU to the Amber Ward? My greatest battle with the sickness started after even after my discharge from the hospital itself. Why? Because I lost muscle mass 
I couldn't walk, so I was crippled for a while. Even when they took me to the Amber Ward, they were using uh, machines to, to lift movement here. Yes, and to lift me, physio were coming. They were using hoist to lift me up. Now I started walking like a toddler. For what you are describing, somebody who machines have to be used to even bring strength into your limbs yeah. and so on. Yeah. Did you at that point think you won't work again? Was uh, there a lingering fear that you may be, dis be um, disabled for the rest of your life? No, because no, because uh, my sister being a doctor was telling me, yeah, that's, it happens when you lie down for a long time. I think if you don't use your muscle for a while, you begin to lose muscle mass at a certain rate. And when it becomes too much, you can't really walk again. Yeah. But we'll fix you you bounce back. Right. Yeah, so I, I, by then I could receive calls, so people were calling, encouraging me. But the problem was when? Right. So when did you finally come through, able to walk, talk, and do everything that you do now? Yeah, I was using a Zima frame at the hospital, you know, to, back, to use the washroom and come back. But then I said to myself, they should discharge me. They should decide me. I want to be home. I'm sick of being sick. I just want to be home. I want to be surrounded by people I know, friends and loved ones. And I think that will really help with my healing. So I spoke to the consultant and he said, well, hospital is not a prison. And at my will, they will discharge me. So I pushed them to discharge me. And you came home? And I came home. So when I came home, I brought you there. <laughs> they had relayed information to our local hospital uh, with the occupational therapist. They came to do assessment. So they fixed something on the stairs that I can hold to climb. They came and fixed something on the toilet and the bathroom that I can use you know, for this uh, various disability aids in the house so that I can move around. I couldn't climb stairs. I was crawling. So I crawled down and I crawled up. I mean, I'm sure we could go into more and more of the details of your debilitating ailments and the complexities that you went to and all the complications that came with it. But I want to move on to who you have become as a result of what you went through. Has it changed your faith? Has it changed your perspective on life? Do you feel that you are on borrowed time, that the life you have has been given to you and you don't own it anymore? What has, what has happened to you? Has it, has it changed you? It has. One, it has... Um, it has really humbled me to a certain level. I mean, very low. Explain. When you know that, you know, if you look at my videos, even during Christmas, and when I watched the videos before I got sick, I said, is that how life can be? Mm. It has also changed my perception about life, that one should not be attached to things. Because if the experience I had with death is what death is, then death is not the end of life. And I said that death is to live in another realm of life without the use of your mortal body. What about your perspective of other people and how to relate to people? Has it changed? I have become more fearless and bold. Why? I don't know. My sister would tell me that now. She said, I don't come out doing rough, rough. And I'm saying post-COVID symptoms. <laughs> no, Reverend, there's nothing which is true that I can tell anybody on earth now if I have to. With all due respect, because life is fragile and life is very limited. So, if you have to really tell somebody the truth. And you are trying to do, you know, cover things up. I don't think that's the right thing. Do you find that you are more urgent about things now than before? Yes. If it must be done, it must be done now. now. And I have become more sympathetic. And now I, say, I, I, I think I have also increased my giving. I, was, I, was, <laughs> I do give, but now... There's nothing 
in this world that I have that I can give up. That's the level I've gotten to. Are you back with your PhD program? Yes. As a matter of fact, I'm in Ghana gathering data, assessing the awareness of uh, cybercrime awareness among public servants. You're still a social gospeler. <laughs> yeah. So, five years from now, ten years from now, as the Lord gives you life, what do you want to use this experience, this unusual experience that you have gone through for? One, to help spread the gospel and to spread it in a way that people who, you have been, who have been saying that there is no God who believe that there is God. Rev, there, there is an unseen being inexplicable energy, awesome power behind this realm. I was telling my pastor, even if we call that force God, we have limited him. He's everywhere but nowhere. It's a presence. When you leave your body, and it, you know, in that realm, you live in a consciousness of your deeds. Nobody, you, you, it's not like somebody is going to tell you that you did A, B, C, which is wrong, so you are going to Abu Sanjem. <laughs> but, but let me say this, I've become very loving too. I've become very loving. At times I'm amazed within this short period. What would be your message to people who are going through a hopeless situation where everybody says, that's, that's your last chance, you won't make it? What would be your message to them? Prayer works. And God is God. Prayer works. Prayer works. Let's talk about a sense of mission. When you finally get called by God, what do you want to be remembered for? Through my ministry, people came to the fullness of the knowledge of His Son Jesus. That's all you want? Yeah. The rest is bonus. Bonus. Bring the cyber cybercrime. You know, the cybercrime is to, you know, let me use this COVID as an example. When the COVID started, just imagine we had so many medical doctors who are into, uh, is it epidemiology? Epidemiology, yes. Yes. From the biblical perspective, with the medical experience, they would have really created the awareness very well. But we've left such things to the world. If somebody is a medical, he became, hey, when he becomes a pastor, that's all. So being maybe a, a, a crime scientist from a cyber uh, crime point of view, can use my knowledge to help build a kingdom. Because the world is going more cyber every now and then. Now, what will be your closing thoughts as we wrap up this discussion? You've, you've been a very great source of inspiration in this conversation, using your pain, your anguish, your uncertainty, and everything to bring hope to somebody. But I must say it's been scary at some points describing a situation where expertise does it. Yeah. Closed door, end game, case closed. And then somehow... God intervening for a new set to come and say, let's give this another chance. In the light of all this, what would you say as we bring this discussion to a close? Your message, of, your message to everyone listening out there. What I would say is, if you are listening to me right now, number one, if you have issue with somebody, just forgive the person. Mend relationship. Just be loving. Forgive and forget. Don't hold grudges against each other. It's not worth it. It's not worth Rev, it's not worth it. If you have ever spent Christmas dancing and jubilating and just enjoying the goodness of God and found yourself at New Year about to enter ICU or ITU, 
and spending 40 days in a coma, when you talk about forgiveness, you're not reading it. You've lived it and understood it. And you are speaking from the bottom of your heart or from the bottom of your experience. This has been the voice of Kobna Ampong Kutimbua sharing the story of Back from the Dead from the Victoria Hospital in the United Kingdom sharing how 40 days of coma shut down his lungs, his kidney, his liver, two variants of COVID, two types of pneumonia, and his immune system fighting everything on site. But somehow, some way, God brought him back for a reason. It is our trust, prayer, hope that the next decade and beyond will reveal the reason why God kept you alive, my brother. Thanks for joining us on Springboard Adventure University. I'm to be here. And thanks to you all for joining us either on radio, on television, online, on various platforms. So we come your way again next week. My name is Albert Okran on behalf of Team Springboard led by Comfort saying thank you to our sponsors MTN Pulse, the Enterprise Group, UMB Bank and our media partners, the Multimedia Group and the Graphic Communications Group. Stay blessed. God bless you. God bless you. And God bless you. Turn it.